Oh, yeah, let's get that out of the way. There's no Sunday night next week. I mean, there's Sunday night, but there won't be service. Nobody, nobody canceled the actual day. Um, thanks for laughing, Jr. I appreciate it. Uh, the next Sunday, yeah, we're good. Okay, just yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we won't be doing Galatians. Yeah, that's what I wanted to tell you. We won't be doing Galatians for four weeks because Memorial Day next uh, next Sunday we won't have service. The next two Sundays I'll be gone. One week for vacation. One week for the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix. So I'll be gone those two Sundays. Jordan, no, not Jordan. Uh, Andy is filling in both of those Sunday nights. Andy Buckley will be filling in those Sunday nights. Um, And then the 18th of June begins Bible school. And the next Sunday night, so it's going to be five weeks, the next Sunday night is our Bible school uh, musical. The kids will present the Bible school musical. So after tonight, oh, this is a horrible place to split it. Uh, after tonight, we'll come back to Galatians in July. Uh, that's that's what it works out to. Um, yes, right. You can study up. Is that right? That's uh, that's the next. Yeah, July. So you have plenty of time to prepare, and any one of you will be able to teach it by July. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to be looking at eleven through fourteen tonight, and like I said, it's 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 really a horrible place to split split. Um, but there was just no way to get through all of it uh, tonight. Um, I didn't think. Now, I may, uh, I may be wrong, and if, if I am wrong, we may go ahead and try to work through it. I won't have slides for you, but I'll, I have notes uh, prepared so we can, we can work through that and get to at least a better stopping point, hopefully. All right, uh, 11 through 14, let's read that uh, first. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Let's go ahead and read through 17 just in case. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And then the next section talks about, you'll see if you read on a little bit, three years later, and then verse 21 afterward, and then uh, chapter 2, verse 1, then after 14 years. So you can see how he's breaking it up into time periods. One of the things I didn't mention uh, about Galatians uh, when, when I talked about the introduction is we don't know concretely what Paul was writing against. We don't have any letter from the church in Galatia to Paul saying, hey, what about this? What about that? And this is going on. We only base what we know of going on in Galatia on his letter. And when we read his letter, you see he's answering he's answering questions we haven't heard. So we're trying to figure out, well, what was the question asked based on his answer? Well, that's not always 
the easiest thing to do. Uh, for you know, a very simple example would be uh, if I wrote a letter to some to to someone, and all I said in the letter was the answer is three. Well, now they may know exactly what I'm talking about because they knew the question. But you, if you just read the the answer, you're wondering, okay, did they ask what two plus one was, or did they ask how many little pigs there were? You know, you get the same answer either way, but it tells you something about where they're coming from. That's what we have to do with Galatians. We we see his answers, but we don't know the questions. We don't know the problems. So because it's an extensive answer, it's six chapters, whatever it is, seven chapters, um, six, uh, we, we can kind of put something together, but we still have to figure out, okay, what were they asking? So... Based on what he is saying here, uh, going back to what we discussed last week, uh, or whenever the last time we met on Sunday night was, uh, he talks about, I'm amazed you're so quickly turning from the gospel. Okay, clearly there's an issue. They, they, they are being taught something different from what he taught. But now he begins to defend his apostleship. Are they saying he's not a true apostle? Well, if that were the case, then his defense by saying, I never talked to the other disciples, uh, the other apostles about the gospel. Well, that wouldn't make sense. Paul, we want your bona fides. What are your credentials for being an apostle? Well, I spent all this time with the disciples. I mean, they they confirmed my apostleship. That's not what he said. He's actually saying, look, I never met them. Uh, I mean, I did, and he goes on to explain it, but I never received anything from them. They didn't teach me the gospel. So he's not trying to defend his status as one of the twelve, or now one of the thirteen, if they can, if he included himself. He's defending something else. It's pretty clear he is defending the gospel that he preached to them. And he's telling them what we're going to see as we move through the rest of, well, all the way through 2.14. He's telling them the gospel that I shared with you was the same gospel that the disciples preach. But the proof is in the fact that though they're the same, even though that they're same, I didn't learn it from them. I didn't get it from them. I got it, as we're going to get to the end here, by, by revelation. And he's also going to be pointing out, he, he's um, as we move through the letter, we also see that he is defending the... Uh, how do I put this? The, I don't want to say replacement. He's defending the fact that you don't need to follow the Jewish law in order to be a Christian. And he is actually going to, and this is why he talks about his little confrontation with Peter later on. He actually has to tell Peter, nope, you're, you are putting the law before the gospel. I preached a gospel that supersedes the law, that doesn't put the law before the gospel. Is it, you, you don't need the law before you have the gospel. And that came directly from Jesus. So, so that's what he's defending, best we can tell. Again, we don't know the question that's being asked. We only have his answers. We only have his reply to it. And so as we move through, he is defending his apostleship, but not the way we expect it. And he's defending his use of the gospel, his explanation of the gospel. The the gospel takes the place of the law. 
Because that's what the Judaizers are going to tell them. And even that term Judaizer that we use for the people who were the false teachers in Galatia, even that's not in here. That's not, we're not sure that that's exactly who it was. Again, we don't have their side of it. Uh, But it appears to be, and, and they were saying, we're going to see, that you have to do certain things according to the law in order to truly be saved. That's ultimately what he's fighting against. So we back that out and we get to where we see he's telling them, the gospel I preached against following the law was something I received directly from Jesus, not from the disciples. So it is a, his use of it is directly from, from Jesus. So that hopefully that either clears it up for you or muddles it some more, but maybe over the next five weeks the, the mud can settle and the water will be clear by the time we come back and, and get to this again. Uh, this, this passage, verses 11 and 12, begins his history, his history and the defense of his apostleship and the gospel, like I said. Uh, particularly 11 and 12 show the non-human origin of the gospel. Or, well not or, and the non-human origin, again, of his application of the gospel. The application being you don't have to be, particularly, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be a believer. He's going to cover that real quickly in verse uh, in chapter 2 when he talks about Titus. Uh, that's one of the things the Judaizers were pushing was for circumcision in order to be a Christian. And he's going to show five proofs through uh, chapter 2, verse 14, five proofs that uh, there was no human origin to this application of the gospel. So let's, now that gives you a little more background, uh, we can get into the, the, the passages here. For I want you to know, brothers, he says in verse 11, this, this word for know, it's more than just knowledge. It is knowledge, it's full, it's complete knowledge, but he's talking about confidence here. I want you to be certain I want you to to know this in such a way that you have faith in the statement. Um, I want you to know that you can sit on these pews and they're not going to fall when you sit on them. Every one of y'all came in and sat down. You didn't give it a shake and a pat and, okay, all right, I can sit on it. No, you just sat down because you you knew, you had confidence it would hold you. Paul said, is, that's the kind of confidence Paul is talking about here. I want you to know. I want you to have confidence, brothers and sisters. I want you to be certain that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. This is uh, from the mouth of Jesus. Notice he uses the term brothers here. Uh, that Some of your translations may say brothers and sisters. Uh, the word he used, he was obviously talking to women as well. It was an all-inclusive word. Uh, it is a familial term. It, it was a term of endearment. He, he, this is a family, a family term. He's still concerned about them. But more importantly, remember what I said a, a, a few uh, weeks back when I talked about the introduction. He's worried about them. Uh, he's amazed that they've turned so quickly, but he, there's hope. There's hope that they can come back. Uh, and we see at the end of Acts that they, they did. We, we see the Galatians included 
uh, being praised for their faith long after. So there's there's uh, they are still in the fold. It's it's a it's really a pretty stark uh, uh, contrast to how he began the letter in in verse six. And then I, I told you uh, later on when he says in chapter three verse one, "My dear idiots," I mean, he he's he's going back and forth. He he's he's lovingly scolding. He and he's very harsh in his scolding. But they have not left the family. They've not left the fold. He's making it clear, y'all. I love you. That you 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 are still a part of the family. But we've got some issues, and there's a, a very real danger of. Uh, Completely turning away from the true gospel, and he wants to make sure they're not uh, they're not there yet. So he he says, "I want you to know that uh, uh, brothers, that this gospel preached by me was not of human origin. It was not based on a human point of view or according to man." Uh, he he's, he's really just repeating what he said in in verse one. About himself, when he said, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, he's saying the same thing. This gospel is above humanity. This, this gospel, and again, this application of the gospel. And you can understand, uh, I think we can understand, where the, the Judaizers or, or any Jewish group was coming from when they would say, yes, we believe the gospel, but We've always had to do these things to get right with God. So why isn't it the case that we do all these things and add Jesus? I mean, it makes logical sense to them, especially when uh, you consider Jesus as God's son. He followed the laws. He was at the temple uh, every week. He did all the festivals, all the feasts. So they would, you would think, okay, well, sure, it makes sense that we would do it this way. It would have to be taught to them. No, no, you don't have to do these things in order to receive the gospel. The gospel is above humanity. The, the gospel is above anything you can do. Uh, you could work out to get to to be saved. It's it's beyond that. And he, Paul, is not arguing for. A different gospel from what the uh, the disciples taught. Remember, uh, taught. Remember, I, I talked about we, they. It's a different application, or and it's not even really a different application. It's an application that had not come up yet. Uh, the Galatians were primarily Gentile, and it was Jews, Jewish believers, but Jews, Jewish believers who were adding to the gospel, who were coming in and saying, yes. It's great that you've got the gospel, but you, you left out Judaism. You need to do that first. The, the disciples in Jerusalem had not had that issue. They had not... Uh, well, let me back up. By the writing of this letter, yes, they had already dealt with Cornelius and the gospel going to, to the Gentiles. They had not, though, come to any broad conclusion about how does this gospel work for... Gentiles come into faith. How, how, you know, okay, Jews, we, we've got all the steps, but as far as we're concerned, when a Gentile comes to Jesus, they've left out a whole lot of steps, all the steps of being Jewish. Because they saw this, some of them saw Christianity as just a variation of Judaism. As a matter of fact, Rome saw Christianity 
as just a variation of Judaism. Immediately after um, Jesus in the first couple of hundred years or so, Rome didn't persecute the Christians. Uh, didn't persecute the Christians separately. They persecuted them as a part of the Jews. Because to them it was just another group of Jews. They're, they're Jews that believed that a little differently. You, in the Jew, Jewish groups you had the Sadducees and you had the Pharisees and you had the Essenes and you had the Christians. That was the way they looked at it. Well, over the years they realized, hold on, this is a different group. So early on, Paul's having to apply this gospel differently. So he's not arguing for something different from what the other disciples taught, but he is arguing for uh, a, a result that, that was still new to everybody. Wait, I don't have to be a Jew first? Huh. Okay, how does this work, Paul? And that's what he told them to begin with. But then come by, somebody came in, and as we see later on, he uses the word bewitched. Changed, they, they fooled them into thinking, nope, we skipped a step. And we see that because in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul use, uses the phrase, uh, what I also received from Jesus. He got it directly from Jesus, but it's the same thing the other disciples received. Um, and then, uh, again, it's, it's not humanly developed. It's not based on human point of view. It's not... Uh, uh, according to man, uh, nor is it humanly developed. This was something straight from the mouth of God. Verse 12, For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, th- there's some. this kind of brings up some questions, uh, or at least it should. Certainly, Paul knew about Jesus prior to his conversion, right? I mean, if we think back to Acts chapter... Is it seven that Stephen was stoned? Uh, Paul was there. Saul, they called him at the time. Paul was there. He was holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen. Stephen's great sermon, going back all the way to to, uh, Abraham and coming through the Old Testament to Jesus, that sermon Paul heard. Paul was persecuting Christians. He knew about Jesus. So so to say, when he says... I did not receive this from a human source. Doesn't mean I'd never heard of Jesus until he caught me on the Damascus Road. That's not what he's saying. And when he says I was never taught anything, well, certainly he learned much from other Christians. What he's saying here, there's a but on the end of this. Uh, Yeah, I knew about Jesus. Yes, I learned from other Christians. But the gospel itself, I did not receive from a human source. It, uh, I was not taught it. It was by revelation. And then it says revelation um, of Jesus Christ. Now, even in English, we, we realize a revelation of Jesus Christ. That could mean two different things, right? You may not have not thought about it, but if you think about it, it could be a, re- a revelation about Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus it, it could be uh, a revelation from Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus, the revelation he gave me. It could be uh, either one of those two things, and it's ambiguous in the Greek. It's, it's just of. Uh, so what does he mean? Well, very likely he means both. Probably did it on purpose. Uh, the folks who wrote Greek, they weren't unaware that their language could sometimes be ambiguous. And there are a lot of times we read Paul that he seems to be uh, uh, intentionally 
ambiguous. So that what we read is Paul not only received the gospel that was about Jesus, he received the gospel from Jesus. He got both of those. It's, it's, a, it's a dual application of that word, and that's what he's trying to get them to, uh, to understand. Now, this is different, say, from Peter's experience. Peter knew Jesus for three years before he truly understood the gospel. Before he had the Holy Spirit, before he saw the outworking of, of the gospel, before he saw it spread through Jerusalem and then to Antioch and on uh, across the world as they sent out missionaries from there. But Paul did not have that relationship. Paul didn't have the three years of teaching prior to the crucifixion, prior to the full understanding and the, the full development of the gospel because the gospel wasn't fully developed, wasn't fully realized until Jesus died on the cross and then rose three days later. At that point, the gospel was was fully formed, uh, for lack of a better uh, better term. And then could be fully understood when the Holy Spirit came. Peter had that that training. Paul didn't. So that's what he's letting them know. That, look, I didn't have all that. And that in reality, only God reveals the truth of the gospel anyway. That's another point that he's making here in verse 12. I didn't receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Only God reveals the gospel. As I said this morning during the invitation, we only come to faith in Christ because the Holy Spirit draws us. If it is up to us, we will never come to Jesus. We'll never do it because the Holy Spirit must draw us. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit at some point draws everyone. And certainly everyone who hears the gospel is drawn by the Holy Spirit. Then I also believe we have the opportunity to refuse or uh, comply with that drawing. But... Nonetheless, the Holy Spirit has to draw us when we come. I mean, that's that's just an almost exact quotation of Scripture. No one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draw him. That's, that's what the Bible says. So only God reveals this gospel, and he's, he's really implying that the gospel is an unknown. And it's a mystery, and he uses this phrase a lot, the mystery of the gospel. And it's not a mystery in that... We can't understand it enough to respond to it. But if you can explain to me in no uncertain terms, with perfect clarity, how the gospel works, I commend you. If you can explain to me how the gospel changes us completely, what the mechanisms are, and and give me all the intricate details then you are impressive because only God understands how the gospel works, understands how it responds, how we respond or what occurs in our hearts. Uh, And even Paul didn't. I mean, look how many times he had to write letters and how many times he had to address the same thing, the same issue, but sometimes come at it from from different directions. And, and even Paul will say at times, look, this this is how I see it. And he will say, this is from me, not from the Lord. Now, I don't, I don't believe that there's anything in the Bible that's not from the Lord. I think that is Paul's humility talking. But I believe that the Lord gave him what Paul didn't know he was getting. 
Uh, so he would say, in all honesty, look, guys, this is this is what I think. But what we understood was God was telling him what to think. Uh, there were times when he knew this is what God has given me. And there are other times he's saying this is the best I can come up with. But because God has uh, perfectly preserved his word, we know that even when Paul says, hey, I think it's just me talking. It was really God talking. But he, he understood, y'all, this is mysterious. This is, this is deep stuff. And we will spend the rest of our lives contemplating it and never come to the end of it. Even if, even if we get it by direct revelation from Jesus. That word, revelation, it's, uh, it's kind of a uh, softened term. We call the, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. But if you look at, if you've got an old King James Bible, what does it call it? Did the, did the old King James call it something besides Revelation? Apocalypse? We think, we think of apocalypse as, we've, we have totally misused that term. Apocalypse is some sort of disaster. Uh, we watch, you know, the movie, Apocalypse is Here, and Apocalypse Now, and um, what was that? Aerosmith movie. Armageddon. Armageddon. That was the... It's always the end of the world. It's always some tragedy. It's always... Apocalypse just means revelation. So if we read this in the Greek, what it says is, I received this by apocalypse of Jesus. By the apocalypse. That, that, doesn't that kind of change the way that feels a little bit? Because we have used that word apocalypse to... Uh, to mean something harsh, to mean something like the end, I don't think that was a mistake either. I don't think that that was, um, that was accidental that he did that. Because there is something apocalyptic. There is something of the end of time in the gospel. I mean, what's the whole purpose of the gospel? It's to prepare us for the end. To, to, to write our relationship with God so that when the end comes, when Jesus is revealed in His glory, the, the revelation, the apocalypse, we are on the right side of, of, of history. We are on the right side of that moment. So Paul says this, this apocalypse of Jesus, he, he's using a language that would immediately, for these folks, get them to thinking, this is a big deal, bigger deal than just getting something, getting the wording right. You know, not doing too much to be saved, not not putting too much emphasis on things. Again, uh, he, he, he tells them later on, you haven't just deviated a little bit. It looks like a little bit. But what you've done is created a brand new gospel that's no gospel at all. It's is a major deal that they have done. And by using this language of apocalypse, uh, even for those, they, they, it, it creates some severity and uh, somberness there uh, that, uh, that would have really captured their attention. Uh, again, not expounded by people. We go to, when we read the Bible and we plan to teach or something, we go to commentaries and we, we see scholars expound on Scripture. And uh, that's, that's what I do when I preach. I expound Scripture. I, I, I explain it in a uh, maybe a fuller way than you would get if you just read it. That's not how he received it. 
He got it straight from Jesus himself. Now, then we get to verses 13 through 17. You see why I knew we weren't going to get all the way through 17 tonight. Uh, Verses 13 through 17. What he's saying here is that his religious background in no way accounts for his conversion. Remember, he is he's doing a couple of things here. He's defending his apostleship, but in a way we wouldn't expect. He's also saying that he, he's distancing the gospel from Judaism. So he's making sure they understand because they're wanting to mix them, right? They're mixing Judaism and, and the gospel. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. So much so that he's going to point out that everything I was as a Jew is completely unrelated, not completely, but is, is, it does not account for what I am now as a Christian. I didn't need any of that to be where I am as a Christian. That's the point he's making. So this, this affects our... We would never say this, my dear Baptist brethren, but often in, in history, we... Baptists, particularly, and we're not the only ones, but that's the only ones I'm familiar with, have expected, if not stated outright, that we would love for people to come and be saved, provided they clean up their life first. And we would never say that out loud in those words, but we would make very clear, if you look like that, live like that, act like that, you can't come here until you get that cleaned up, then we'll be more than happy for you to come hear the gospel. Uh, that's not, that, that, that's part of the point he's making. Uh, I mean, this, this is a, no, it's not part of the point he's making. I think this is a point we can make today. His background did not make him more savable. Uh, as a matter of fact, his background condemned him as surely to hell as any of the most rampant pagan or devout atheists lifestyle would condemn them to hell. He is clear, look, I am not more Christian or a better Christian because of what I was. It doesn't account for it. And then in verses 13 and 14, all we're going to get through tonight is he talks about how he was a strict Jew uh, persecuting the way. Now, the way was the early uh, descriptor for Christianity. That was what they called it. Uh, even in the first part of Acts, you will see in most Bibles, the way will be capitalized. They didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves people of the way. Uh, probably primarily from where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they would say things like, there's only one way to heaven, sort of that sort of thing. So it was called the way. In verse 13, he says, uh, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Uh, He's not bragging. Some people brag about their previous lifestyle before they came to Christ. They're they're almost prouder of how bad they were, almost prouder of how bad they were than how good they are now. Um, And there's a good, and I'm not, I I don't want to, sound too harsh here, there's a good reason to show what God can do, what Jesus can do in the life of somebody, how far they can, he can bring them. But I've been to enough youth camps, and I've been to enough particularly youth camps and youth conferences, but it happens at adult conferences too, where you walk away going, 
man, they sure were proud of everything they did before they were a Christian. There was not the humility and shame you would expect. Give your testimony. Tell as much as God wants, but let's let's understand. Let, let, let's be clear by looking at you and hearing you. That was not good. And, you know, just so he's not he's not bragging about these things as some people do. Um, he actually considered himself the least of the apostles because of his persecution. He, he think about Paul and all that he did more influential, I would say, than any of the other twelve. Just just based on based on extant writings anyway. And he says, guys, I'm the least of it because I persecuted the church. He wasn't saying, look, he was sometimes, but he didn't say, look how wonderful my Christianity is and how good I am and how how um, qualified I am to be an apostle because I, I, I look what I did to the church. Look how far Jesus saved me. He said the exact opposite. I am the least I am the worst. You don't look up to me at all in that sense because these guys, Peter, James, John, the rest of them, they never persecuted the church. They were always faithful. I was unfaithful. And that's what he's, you know, that, that, so, so we, we don't read in this as him bragging about how bad he was and, and this uh, persecuting the church. I tried to destroy the church. Literally, he, that, that's translated that he was saved from uh, tearing down the church. That was his goal, to bring it down. And he also says it was he persecuted God's church. This phrase, God's church, kind of throws us back to the Old Testament, this community of God. Some of the things that I talked about on Sunday mornings when we were going through the Old Testament and seeing the called out people in the Old Testament. Always a community, and that's what he's talking about. What's interesting, though, is this community is what Paul thought he was protecting. He thought he was doing God's business by persecuting the way, persecuting the church. He thought he was protecting God by persecuting Christians. He, he actually had good motives in his mind. I am protecting. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Why? Uh, why he thought that? Why he would have thought that? He said in verse fourteen, "I advanced in Judaism beyond uh, beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Our ancestors. He was obsessive and ambitious in Judaism. He uh, he, he would be considered valedictorian." Of his class, I mean that's what he was, and 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 by a mile, not a, a few thousandths of uh, of a percentage point or GPA. You know, he had 4.0, and the next one had 3.998 or something. No, 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 no. He had like 4.0, and the others had 2.0. He was he was exceptional, is what he was saying. He and and again, he's not bragging. He's not talking about how good he was. What he is making sure they understand was. I was all of these things in Judaism, and I still needed the gospel. And I needed the pure gospel, not the gospel plus circumcision, not the gospel plus feasts, not the gospel plus uh, uh, the temple or anything else. Even in all of this, I still needed the gospel. And then, and he'll talk about that in verse 15 when he talks about being saved 
uh, called being called by God's grace. So why was he so fanatical about uh, protecting Judaism, fighting Christianity? Why was he so zealous? Well, like I said, he he felt like he was protecting God's community, God's uh, God's church. Uh, like I said earlier, Christianity was not seen as another religion by Rome, but seen as a sect of Jerusalem of Judaism. Well, Judaism also understood it to be that for a little while, but an impure sect of Judaism. So, I mean, look at all these things that, uh, that, that Christianity, or this, at this point in time, the way did. They, they followed someone cursed to die on the cross. Cursed is anyone who dies on the cross. And we, we see this a little bit, some of this in, in Islam today, too. They don't follow Jesus because he was crucified. I mean, they, they, he can't be God's son because certainly God's son would not be crucified. This is one of those places where Islam and Judaism would agree. Um, the, the Jews saw this impure sect of Judaism uh, as committing blasphemy by worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping a man. We don't worship a man. We don't worship anything but God. No, no idols, no graven images, nothing. And here you are saying you fall down and worship this man. Um, and then, of course, the, the Christianity, the, the way, displaced the law as means of salvation. Now you've got these people who are Jews going around and telling people you don't have to follow the law to be saved. The gospel saves you. So if we had someone come into our church today and say, uh, hey, you, uh, I don't know, um, don't trust Jesus uh, it, 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 that's that's not what you're supposed to be doing, uh, and 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 gave us something as as outlandish or so far afield from what we believe. Well, if somebody came in and said, "No, Jesus was just a man; he wasn't divine. Uh, the cross was a, a, an unfortunate accident." And, you know, I talked about that a few Sundays ago, different views of what the cross was. Uh, the cross was an unfortunate accident. Um, he's just a man. And in fact, the gospel really doesn't save you. All you have to do is give some intellectual assent to, wow, this is good stuff, and you can be saved. What would we do? Sit idly by and think, well, all right, that's not quite what we believe. But it's okay. We'll let them teach Sunday school. No. We say, dude, you are completely against everything. Now, hopefully we wouldn't do what Paul did and kill him. Um, we would not kill him, y'all. Don't, we don't do that. The Inquisition, they did that. We don't do things like that. We don't drown them. We don't burn them at the stake. Uh, that's not what happens. But we would, we would say, we'd stop the teaching. No. No, you're not going to teach those things in here. That's in no way what we believe. Well, that's what was happening to Judaism. This group comes up and totally turns over everything that they have. That that was the Pharisees' problem with Jesus to begin with. That's why they wanted to kill him. Look, you're teaching things we don't believe, Jesus. Well, guys, I'm God, so I can kind of do that. Whoa, you just said you're God. Now we're really going to kill you. See the problem? So you can understand a little bit of why Paul would be so zealous, why he would be so fanatical to to try to to stop this. 
And then if you go back a little bit in history, this is only in the 40-something A.D., 42, 43, 47, something along in there, A.D., that Paul wrote Galatians. He was persecuting almost immediately after uh, the crucifixion. So 34, 35 A.D., he begins his uh, persecution, maybe even a little before that. You go back in history, you know that there, there are actually, there, there's stuff that happened between Malachi and Matthew, right? About 400 years uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't have any books. We don't, not scripture, but we do have books. Uh, Maccabees are some of the first, second, I think third and fourth Maccabees. And, and you can read all about the history. The Greeks coming in, taking over uh, Jerusalem or, or Israel. The age of the Maccabees. And there was a guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, who, who sacrificed a pig on the altar at the temple. Y'all know that? Some of you probably did. I mean, completely desecrated the Jewish faith. He did everything he could to, to, if it was unclean, he did it. And he was determined to do as much as possible. That was just a couple of hundred years before Paul. And the Jews swore after that, never again. That will not happen again. And in 70 AD, we get a revolt that ends up having the temple torn down because they revolt against Rome. They're tired of it. They're tired of the desecration of their faith. And Israel ceases to exist in 70 A.D. until 1948 A.D. But if we just go back to Paul and we see that history of those couple of hundred years, the Maccabees, violence was encouraged to protect the integrity of Israel, the law, and the temple. They were told to. I mean, they, they were slaughtering people. The Jews were slaughtering people right and left. You came to the temple and you weren't right. I mean, they'd get rid of you because they were going to protect the integrity of their faith. They would not let it be desecrated the way it had been under Antiochus Epiphanes. And Paul was living that reality. Here's this group. Here's this sect that is trying to take over Judaism again. We are not going to let it happen. And, and this was no thug or, or mafia type doing it if, or for fun or, you know, feeling bad about he was how he was doing it. He was proud of it. Paul was proud of what he did because he was protecting the faith. This was on his pre-conversion resume. And he does this a couple of times throughout the New Testament saying, look, I was zealous for this. This is what I did. You could not get more Jewish than me is what he's saying. And then he ends that with, but I needed the gospel. I did everything and more a good Jew would be expected to do. And none of that contributed to my salvation. My church membership, what I wore, what I did, who I defended, who I didn't defend. None of that added to my salvation. None of that was necessary, uh, a necessary part of the gospel in order to see me saved, which is the point he's making to the Judaizers. Y'all are adding things to the gospel. You're bewitching, you're, you're allowing yourselves to be bewitched by these people that are adding to the gospel. I had it all, folks, and none of that was part of the gospel. None of that helped me be saved. That's the point he's going to be making now for uh, a while, basically the whole book. But he's setting it up by his own life. And that's where we have to end.
And he, began, he continues 15, 16, 17 uh, to talk about his, his conversion a little bit more. Uh, but we don't have time to get into that tonight. All right. Questions or comments on that? <laughs> 